Hello, and welcome to the Long-Term Investing Podcast with Baskin Wealth Management. I'm Barry Schwartz, Chief Investment Officer. Baskin Wealth Management is an independently owned investment management firm with almost $2 billion in assets under management, providing customized wealth management solutions and services to families and foundations. In this podcast, we ignore all the noise and have conversations that make sense about the things that matter in today's markets. It's what we talk about with each other here in the office, and we want to share those conversations with you. Please stay tuned for our legal disclaimer at the end of the episode. We're back with another episode of the Long-Term Investing Podcast with Baskin Wealth and with Ernest Wong joining me today. Ernest, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing really well. And I wanted to thank all our new uh, followers. Um, uh, thank you very much for joining us. There's over 20 plus episodes and we hope to uh, continue this output, try our best to do um, a couple, two to three or four of these a month, depending on if there's anything interesting to talk about. But hopefully we've got a no end to things to talk about, Ernest. And today we want to talk about energy and dividends and the Canadian telecom stocks. Maybe we can even talk a little bit about the U.S. telecom stocks. And uh, we'll see where the conversation goes. So, Ernest, um, the I see oil prices have, I mean, on one hand, if you own energy stocks, you're happy. On the other hand, if you um, want CPI and inflation to come down, uh, you're not happy because um, since about the middle of June, uh, oil prices, gasoline prices, diesel prices have ticked up. Great for energy investors, not so great for the rest of the world. But uh, our angle today is our energy stocks, the new dividend stocks, and why should people own them for income, and what has changed in the past couple of years? With, I think the important thing that some people often fail to appreciate about dividends is that dividends are are an end goal end result mm -hmm. not a goal in and of itself yeah a company that makes a lot of money can pay dividends because it's making a lot of money mm -hmm. not because like the reported dividend yield is x or y right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and you and i have seen a lot of investors that get into trouble because they look at a company they see oh it pays a you know eight nine percent dividend yield that sounds great. Like I'm getting, well, today, maybe 5% on a GIC. Yeah. And hey, that's 4% of extra yield, right? It's a great deal. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's how you get into trouble because you're not focusing on the company's fundamentals. Yeah. And this is, I think, very relevant to the energy companies because today um, they're making a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And that's why they're able to pay dividends. It's not because... Like they are attempting to be stable cash flow dividend payers. No, not the, nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, oil prices go up and down like toilet seats. And oh, you look at the last 10, 15 years and, you know, prices went sky high, then oil went negative. It's very hard to be a stable income provider, you know, like a rental apartments uh, when you're an oil and gas company. It's just, income in oil and gas doesn't really make sense, but maybe things have changed. Right. And so if you look at companies like Canadian Natural Resources or or Tourmaline Oil, mm -hmm. um, both of which we own, mm -hmm. incidentally, mm -hmm. 
they pay special dividends based on what energy prices are doing. Yeah. So when energy prices are high, they'll they'll pay more special dividends, and when energy prices are low, they'll like it naturally falls. And there's no expectation from the, provided by the management that these special dividends are going to persist in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, this is really the right way to think about dividends, and I think you you provided some great insights. So. If you were an owner of a private company and you had a you know a great quarter, maybe you would pay out more dividends. But if you had um, you had a tough quarter or there was needs to reinvest back in the business, you wouldn't think twice about um, slowing the dividend down. You would uh, reinvest back into the business. Unfortunately, in the public markets, it doesn't work, look, work like that unless it's so well communicated to the investors and you have an investor base that understands that well, maybe sometimes I'll get a good dividend. Maybe sometimes it's better for the management to buy back a stock. Maybe it's better right now for the management to pay down debt. But it, life does, doesn't work like that when in public markets. And it, I think it's, it's gotten harder mm-hmm. over the years, especially because of all the, the new... Um, the exchange traded funds, the, yeah. the ETFs, and and mutual funds that have dividend growth strategies, yeah. right? Where if 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 you're a company and you fail to raise your dividend one year, then you get kicked out of these ETFs. Correct. And then then everybody sells your stock, and then every and then you're much worse off, right? So like that's that's just the way it is. Though. But I really like this model that the energy Canadian energy companies I I'm not sure have the US uh energy companies adopted this special dividend case by case uh stance that some of the Canadian companies have been following? I haven't looked into it. Okay. Well, someone will let us know. But uh you know, you can see from Canadian Natural Resources and and Termaline Oil and there's a bunch of other smaller Canadian oil and gas companies that are really follow we'll have a we'll have a, a base dividend depending on oil and gas prices and if as you said if things are really good we'll pay up more maybe we'll buy back stock um, you know these are good problems to have of course and and our clients um, those that uh, are comfortable owning oil and gas um, they own Canadian natural resources and tourmaline those two companies um, have been returning so much cash to shareholders Ernest, just to recap, why are those companies so, like, what has changed in the past few years? I mean, oil prices are high today, but not high as they've ever been. What's the difference this time around versus, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago? Canadian energy sector has been through a rough eight years or so. Historically, uh, and just to maybe keep it a little bit shorter. Yeah. Historically, Canada was able to export all of its energy to the United States. Since the shale revolution and the advent of fracking, uh, the U.S. doesn't need Canadian oil anymore. And basically all the energy that Canada produces in Alberta got stuck there. Mm -hmm. And since we don't have pipelines and have not and still today, not great at building pipelines. No, there's a d- nine-month delay on the new TMX uh, pipeline. That's great. Just nowhere for the oil and gas to go. Mm-hmm. So Canadian Canadian oil and gas has traded at a at a very low price. I think this is changing going forward for a few reasons. Number one is that some of the projects that have been being worked on 
are nearing completion. So think about like uh, TMX, uh, Coastal Gas Link, LNG Canada, LNG Canada. Uh, these these projects are going to allow oil and gas producers to access like Asian markets. Mm-hmm. And secondly, is that in the U.S. shale uh, shale energy production is declining just due to the nature of these reserves. Yeah, and so um, Canadian like the. I think there's a good case to be made that uh, Canadian energy is going to be in for a, a good little while. Yep. Well, I mean, the, the there's so many dynamics that are involved, obviously, in oil and gas. It's supply and demand. You have uh, financial speculators as well. You have, uh, obviously, there are uh, the emissions, carbon emissions that are negative, and uh, you have these companies spending money on renewables as well. Uh, but you know, our, our style, our approach is to look for the best run companies with strong management. And uh, we, we think CNQ and Termaline fit the bill. And, um, you know, maybe in the past we have been negative on those companies, though years and years ago we did own a lot of oil and gas. Uh, we're, we're betting that uh, the future looks brighter for some of these companies. And uh, I've been saying um, for dividends, and, and this is a good segue, uh, you know, a lot of investors own companies um, for the income. And that's fair, uh, you know, they to supplement their retirement. Um, and of course, uh, there we, many of those dividend-paying stocks have done tremendously well. Um, but of course, you have to look under the hood. And uh, you've mentioned before, you know, a lot of companies that pay dividends may have l- tough balance sheets. High interest rates might be impacting them. Um, with some of these oil and gas stocks, uh, their balance sheets have improved by leaps and bounds. And some of them are saying, uh, you know, a year from now, six months from now, if oil prices continue to stay high, uh, we don't need to pay down any more debt. We're going to return all of our free cash flow to shareholders. And so uh, it might be time to think about adding uh, oil and gas stocks to your portfolio for income. No, well said. Okay. So uh, talking about income, let's talk about the Canadian telco market, Ernest. Uh, this is our feature discussion. Our clients own shares of TELUS and Bell Canada, which is BCE. Um, you know, uh, our focus obviously is uh, we have clients with different uh, purposes and requirements, and uh, TELUS and BC are held mostly for our more retiree portfolios and our clients looking for more stable income. Uh, you know, not every stock in our portfolio provides income. Uh, that said, these have been tough uh, names to own over the past couple of years. So, Ernest, we're going to get into the pros and cons of Canadian telcos. Go ahead. So, for the purposes of this uh, conversation, I just really want to focus on the big three, okay. which are Rogers, Telus, and BCE. Like in Canada, there are like these are the main players, along with a, a bunch of smaller guys. Like there's Sasktel in Saskatchewan. Quebecor and Kojiko in, in in Ontario okay. and Quebec, but yeah. but I, those are a bit of a different story. We'll leave it up to the big three, which uh, all the consumers seem to hate, but can't live without. So I think oftentimes many investors seem to lump all dividend payers together, mm-hmm. like like there's banks, tele- telecoms, pipelines, REITs, right? U- utilities, even, yeah. utilities yeah. even though each of these kind of have different dynamics. Mm-hmm. And in Canada, at least, I think the telcos are actually quite similar to utilities. Mm-hmm. 
they are they provide an essential service, um, which is they provide cell phone service, they provide internet, and maybe less relevant today, but they also provide phone and TV services, and and, and some of them also uh, home home alarm and and security. Yep, mm-hmm. they have cr- cross country coverage, especially for wireless. Mm-hmm. And I think the important thing to understand about the Canadian telecoms, um, both from a consumer and from an investment perspective, is that it's really expensive to provide cross-Canada coverage. You think? One of of the world's largest uh, (laughs) land masses and uh, rugged environment and uh, not very dense unless you're talking about Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, the population. So, yeah. And and this is especially true in the rural areas. Mm-hmm. So I, I was just searching this up. About 20% of Canadians live in rural areas. Yeah. And it's probably more if you include like places like Timmins or Thunder Bay, where like these are not large cities. Yes. Yeah, so uh, and very expensive still to provide internet service. Mm-hmm. And to connect it to the major financial centers of Toronto, for example. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the the major telcos. Their return on assets, so like the amount of money that they make on every dollar that they spend, is about three to four percent. Well, said. that's lousy. It it is very lousy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they they are not, in contrary to to popular perception, they are not massively profitable cash flow machines. No. And so what often happens is that the the CRTC, the regulator. They will, from time to time, they'll say, "Hey, let's let's introduce some more competition into the market. Wireless prices are too high. Like Canadians are suffering from cell phone bills. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they'll they'll do things like maybe allowing third parties to access their networks. They'll ban three year contracts, yeah. like all these kind of little things. And so then, what the big three will say is, "Look, like we're we're already making only three four percent." If you if you hurt us even more, then we're just going to stop investing in rural areas, mm-hmm. and then, and and so what what will happen is the CRTC will look at it and say, okay, that's not great for Canada, that the rural areas don't have internet, and so they'll back off. And over time, this dynamic has led to like fairly stable returns for the the Canadian telcos, mm-hmm. like so. In, in essence, they are really utilities. Yes. They, they have a rate of return, which is somewhat guaranteed based mm-hmm. on the regulator, mm-hmm. and they provide an essential service. And and so if you look at BCE, for example, right, they historically earn about, they earn three, four, three to 4% return on assets. Um, after debt, they earn about 13 to 15% uh, return on equity. Mm-hmm. And they pay out all their earnings as a dividend. Yeah. And if you pay... They're actually paying out yeah. more than their earnings on dividends, but we'll get into that. Yes. Yeah. And so if you do the math, um, that comes out to about a 6 to 7% on the return on the price that you're paying for BCE today. Mm-hmm. And that's actually what you've received in dividends over the last decade. Well, isn't it what Charlie Munger said, uh, that uh, if a company earns this type of ROE... Adjusted for X number of years, that will be your return. Uh, you know, don't be surprised that if it only earns six percent, uh, then that's all you're going to earn. Nothing wrong with that if you're comfortable earning the six percent a year. But uh, 
you know, the, you can see from the stock prices of some of those stocks, you've just gotten the dividend. Exactly. And I think there is good reason to think that this dynamic, the, the dance between the regulators and the telcos, mm-hmm. is going to favor the regulator a little bit going forward. Okay. As I as as we just talked about, um, the main leverage that these companies have is is their investment in rural areas. Mm-hmm. But with new technologies like SpaceX, like they don't need to. Like SpaceX provides very good service. Yeah. In, no, we in we have cottage a, country. Yeah, we have a colleague, one of our colleagues here, who uses SpaceX for his his area where there's no telco available and it's like it's amazing it's just as fast as if i was at home and uh you know logging into his computer it's incredible although there are days when it doesn't work as well as others yeah we'll see what happens Mm -hmm. with with with, uh these type of technologies and it's not cheap of course right Mm -hmm. but i think the main point is if these companies no longer are needed Mm -hmm. to invest in rural areas yeah then i think the regulator could very well say Oh, we don't like. I think there's no reason you can't give a little bit more in the cities, mm-hmm. and so I think it'll be that's an interesting dynamic that I'm I'm interested in over the next few decades. So you're not so positive on the uh, potential um, returns on assets from here because of a uh, regulation risks, uh, Ernest. What are some of the positives, of course, uh, to the telcos um, going forward? Well, I think. I think it's just what we talked about. Yeah. Um, these are, unlike the U.S., importantly, these are they provide all types of service yeah. across. Like, like they they provide alarm, they provide phone, they provide internet, they provide TV. So they're these are very stable, like cash flow, res, like generally recession resistant businesses. Totally. And when you go on vacation and the roam like home, ten dollars a day in the U.S., fifteen dollars a day in in Europe, or overseas, uh, th- those are like almost free money to the telcos. So at least from a fundamental perspective, these are these are very safe businesses to mm-hmm. own, and and should be counted, and and investors rightly view them as safe dividends. Yeah. Um. So. Ernest, there's been a dynamic in the past couple of years, um, obviously impacts from COVID, uh, price competition, investing in uh, new cable. I, I, I noticed in my neighborhood, I, I can't speak to your neighborhood, but it, like someone's laying a lot of uh, fiber optics. I don't know if it was Rogers or Bell. Um, I don't know why they, it's so silly that there's three of them and they seem to duplicate each other's capital spend. But that's a story for another day. Um, but if you look at the... If you look at the free cash flow that these companies are generating today, all of them are paying out more in dividends than the free cash flow that they're generating. Although they'll tell you, you know, we're we're investing for the future. And by 2025, 2026, some of those capex are going to come down dramatically and and the dividends are going to be covered. So what what should investors make of that? Is it just a function of the cyclicality of that business? I think so. I think if you Certainly, the capex, as you pointed out, has been has been quite high over mm-hmm. the last few years, and that's because they've been investing in five G uh, and laying fiber for the fiber networks that they've been building out. I think there's like if you study the history of telecom, like these things typically go in cycles, 
And so after they are done this uh, capex cycle, yeah, they will probably cover their dividend yeah. again. BCE is the cleanest mm-hmm. of these stories. They just spend on, uh, they just provide telco service and they pay a dividend. Yeah, and for a utility type company, I think that's what investors like because it's predictable. It's understandable. They're not doing any weird stuff with the business. That's not true for the other two. Correct. Rogers is a is a complete mess right mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. on on every level. The 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 board doesn't seem to get along. The the manager like the former CEO is suing and the business. Ca- and they're counter suing the former CEO. Yep. The balance sheet is is hugely levered due to the Shaw deal. So not too interested in Roger's stock at the moment. No, and the stock price reflects that, of course. And the stock trading in the mid-50s, I think it's been flat for like 14 years, something like that. And then TELUS has historically, they've grown a little bit faster, mm-hmm. mostly because they're, they're more concentrated in Western Canada, yeah. especially in BC. They have been investing in some... Uh, what I would generously call it as adjacent verticals mm-hmm. to the business. So they built out a call center business, which they 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 listed as a public company yeah, called which, Telus International. Yeah, which proceeded to fall in f- by fifty or sixty percent since they listed that stock. Um, so not the greatest result for those that bought this, the Telus spinoff. They have a health business mm-hmm. which provides virtual clinic care. Yeah, they have an agricultural business. What does that agricultural business do? It's it's just providing like telematics and those kinds of things. For okay, cool. Fleets. Yeah, and these are like internet related businesses, mm-hmm. but like not really at the core. And so I think that I think investors are are, are viewing these investments with a little bit of skepticism. For sure, definitely based how how poorly the international the sorry the out I think it's called Ellis International, but the outsourcing business has not done well. The cons, yeah, the conference call, whatever it's called. Especially since mm-hmm. again, these are supposed to be safe and predictable businesses. Yeah. So, but the core business, the core business of wireless and cable for these companies, excluding all the other um, investments and in, in, in businesses. Like, how's that doing? I think it's mostly fine, yeah. I would describe it as. Mm-hmm. Certainly, wireless pricing is not going up. Yeah. In fact, it's come down quite very a bit. Very competitive. It's, it's a very competitive market, contrary to what you might be reading in the newspaper. Yeah. And... But then in the long term, like they are growing subscribers as, it, as the population of Canada grows. Yeah. I mean, they, it, all these businesses face a, a fair share of headwinds and risks. Obviously, someone would say on a tailwind is the population potential for nice growth in Canada. And uh, everybody needs a cell phone and everybody's kids need a cell phone. I mean, I never had a cell phone when I was a kid. Um, obviously because they didn't exist. But, uh, you know, now everybody, uh, once their kids 10, 11, 12, 13, walk to work or walk to school, sorry, or take the bus, uh, people buy their kids' cell phones. So there is um, there's a pretty good certainty in that business for now. Um, so we talked about Rogers. Tell us, of course, Ernest is run by Darren Entwistle. So kind of a 
he's, he's almost an owner operator type investor. Uh, Telus, I think, started as ClearNet. Um, I can't really remember the genesis, but uh, I think Darren Entwistle, now the chairman, still owns a significant stake in, in the company and um, you know, still has his fingers on the pulse of the company. Yeah, and that's why we like that's the lot, the one that we own the most of. Yes, despite what we just talked about. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so the Canadian telcos have held up admirably over the last few years versus the U.S. telcos. Um, I think the U.S. telcos just a different dynamic, right? Um, competitive, uh, much more competitive market, as well as uh, the investing in new wireless uh, technology is kind of stunted their balance sheets. Yeah, it's a totally different market. Mm-hmm. Like they're not even comparable. Yeah. yeah. The US is a is an unregulated market. Um there's the the dynamics are totally different yeah. in terms of how the business is set up. So like there's not really a comparison between the two. So Many investors, just to finish off our conversation on the, the telcos, many investors will say, okay, um, you know, these companies have not done well in the last few years. Uh, a part of this, part, year. Yeah, this year, this year, yeah, because of interest rates. Yes. Right. And so, yeah, the interest rates have uh, worked negatively uh, for us because, uh, you know, the dividend is less attractive. Um, is there reason to believe that if interest rates are peaked or start to come down, that that would be um, positively for viewed for the telcos, or is it just function of all dividend-paying stocks? No, I think I think higher interest rates are definitely a negative mm-hmm. for these businesses. Unlike a utility, I don't think the regulator has any desire to yeah. allow these businesses to increase returns on equity mm-hmm. uh, because. Like that would basically imply allowing them to raise prices. Yeah, there's certainly no political appetite to do that, and I, I don't see why there's a need to as yeah. well. I've I've noticed that there hasn't. Maybe I'm I'm not following it as closely, but I noticed that there hasn't been as much um, discussion about the telcos in, in the papers or that there or or by the regulators. So I think they've they've beaten them up enough in, in the short term and. Uh, it's interesting to see how these things, uh, you know, are so cyclical, right? And when and and yeah, a thirteen percent return on equity is is great when interest rates are two percent. Yeah, but I think it's still pretty good, but not as great when interest rates are five percent. Wonderful. So, a- anything you want to um, finish off there on the Canadian telcos? I think if you really look past all of it like i i do think they are fairly safe yeah. investments which are probably going to hold their value going forward mm-hmm. uh and and you're going to get a decent dividend and that's what you're going to get like i don't think investors in these stocks are going to expect to be finding the next apple no but that's not what they're looking for no and there's a home in your portfolio for all different types of companies there's something to be said for companies without a lot of drama, like a, a Berkshire Hathaway, for example, where there's, you know, obviously I'm probably jinxing it right now, but there's been no drama. The company, you know, the the fundamentals seem to grind higher and the stock price is not as volatile as some of these other uh, crazy names. And, and maybe that's what the Canadian telcos and, and some other Canadian, uh, you know, anchor stocks provide in your portfolio. 
Which makes Rogers' drama all even more spectacular. Exactly. I, I think investors do not like drama for lo- long-term investing. Um, although the Canadian telcos have been negative performers on for dividend uh, investors this year, they're, not all dividend stocks are, are doing lousy. And, and yes, Ernest, of course, REITs and utilities and pipelines have, have had a rough uh, start to, well, 2023 is almost moving into 2024, but there have been some stalwarts, some some great winners. Brookfield Asset Management, which was a spinoff from Brookfield. Of course, their investor day is today. Maybe we'll talk about uh, a little bit more about Brookfield in an upcoming podcast again uh, after reviewing their investor day. Uh, Power Corporation, so some of the insurance companies are doing very, very well. So, uh, you know, even, even some REITs are up this year. Those focused on apartment buildings. Uh, or industrial, those seem to be strong performers. So don't just lump every single stock into one factor and say it's good or bad. Do your homework, do your research. Um, you know, and uh, what what doesn't work in today's environment may very well work in tomorrow. So you never know. Well said. Cool. So a- any books, any anything you're reading or watching that you want to share that uh, you think our listeners would... Uh, uh, benefit from. So in the summer, I went on a, I went on a family trip to LA, mm-hmm. where we where we visited the Getty Museum. I've been there. It's fantastic. Highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. Although maybe less interesting for young children. Yeah, it's a big it's a big place. They can run around and uh, while you look at the the beautiful art. So in the gift shop, I bought a little book for ten bucks called by the man himself mm-hmm. uh, called. How to be rich. Like I want it to be I want to be rich. Yeah, we so all want I, to be rich. Yeah. So I bought the book and I read it in one sitting. It's John Getty, right? Yep. Uh, John, uh, Paul Getty. Paul Getty. Yeah. He wrote he wrote a little book on how to be rich. Mm-hmm. And it's a fantastic book. It's he keep in mind that he wrote this in like 1960 mm-hmm. because he's long dead. But in it he articulates a lot of the the same investing and business principles that people are talking about today. Yeah. So like one of the things that he talks about is that he thinks that a lot of companies, they spend way too much money on things like travel and entertainment. Mm-hmm. That they should focus on maintaining a lean cost profile. I think if you look at the performance of tech companies over the last year, like certainly they could have learned from this experience. And he also talks about why in 1960 again why he thinks low cost competition from the rest of the world should not be an issue for american manufacturers mm-hmm. certainly a again a relevant topic for today right so it's a great look into history easy read um, he made all his money in oil uh, yes he he was a strange guy who yeah. refused to pay the ransom for his grandson's kidnapping but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but he, yes he he was largely in the oil business wonderful so yeah. how to be rich by paul getty um i've read that book but i'm gonna read it again i remember um seeing that book in the gift shop small little book i think is green cover yeah yeah uh great recommendation how to be rich by paul getty check it out Thank you very much for joining us today. We'll see you back here real soon. Take care. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and any forecasts on the economy, 
markets, or individual securities should not be viewed as investment advice, a recommendation or an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities. Clients of Baskin Wealth Management and the speakers on this podcast may own shares of the companies discussed. Information on this podcast is current as of the time of production and is subject to change. If you have any questions or would like to subscribe to these podcasts, visit our website at baskinwealth.com.